I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. My guest today is a true superhero. Not the ones that you see in Marvel movies. This is the one that you interact with on daily basis and perhaps don't recognize how much of a hero she is. Sophie Elwes sustained a spinal cord injury in 2011 when she was just 22. She fell from a balcony when she was at a party. Totally unexpected turn of events. The incident left her paralyzed from the chest down and left her dependent on a wheelchair. However, despite that, or perhaps because of that, spent several years alpine skiing as a member of the British Disabled Ski Team. And then she decided to finish that chapter and come back to London, where she now works for a spinal injuries charity, supporting people through a mentoring service as her day job in order to help others reach the kind of familiarity and ability, if you want, that she has developed for herself post her injury. In her spare time, she loves to water ski and wakeboard competitively, and she hosts a fantastic podcast, A Life Less Ordinary, uh, with Sophie Lewis. On her podcast, she interviews impressive people who have overcome huge challenges and adversities in their lives, and through their stories, inspire others to overcome the challenges that they face. Sophie has also become an avid meditator. She started that after a toxic relationship last year. And through meditation, her wisdom and her ability to help others continues to increase. Sophie reached out to me on Instagram to ask me if I was willing to be a guest on her podcast. And I said, it would be my absolute honor But then I said, hold on, hold on. I think a bigger honor would be if you were my guest here on Slow Mo. So here she is, Sophie Edwards. Hello. Hello. It's so cool to meet you. Thank you so much for reaching out. Oh, I'm so, so pleased to be doing this. I'm so excited about our conversation. I know. Do you mind if I tell you I was stalking you a little bit? Like I followed your story and I know, I know. I mean, when you texted me on Instagram, I was basically, you were saying, can you come on my podcast? And I said, oh my God, I'd be so honored. But would you come on my podcast? Because I think you're so much more inspiring. I think you're probably going to change the life of a few thousand people today. Oh. Oh yeah, absolutely. That day that I, I've been sort of doing this second series of my podcast and, you know, trying to line up different people, you know, I want to try and reach a variety of people, you know, and, you know, it's, it's definitely a challenge. And I think you'll understand because what you seem to do with your podcast as well, you know, how you have some sort of big, well-known names, Edith Eager, for example, oh, I love amazing, Edith. but then some who are less recognized. And I think it's getting those voices out there is what is important to me. And when I um, shared your podcast, 
And I just thought, hey, why not? I'll just do it. Just be brave. Just ask. <laughs> and then straight after, I was like, oh, damn it. Like, why did I do that? I'm such a fangirl. Like, I should have just, like, emailed. <laughs> oh, my or, God. I'm I was so not honored. expecting anything. I totally. And then when you came back to me, I was just like, ah, mind blown. If you don't ask, you don't get, I think. You know that say where they say, if you buy a lottery ticket, you may not win. But if you don't, you surely will not. And it's a very interesting way of looking at luck, unless, unless you're out there in the world and trying things and so on. I'm not a lottery kind of guy, but I'm, you know, unless you actually reach out to people and are active, things don't happen. But when they do happen, I think they happen better than we expect them because I am so honored to have you here. I mean, I know for certain, you know, I love the idea of I have every person that comes on my podcast has a story, right? And every story has a bit of hardship and a bit of uh, celebration, if you want. I don't know if any story would portray this more than yours, because I know you know my story. So Ali, my son, when we lost him, he was 21 and a half. And I can understand a very strange feeling of when he was in the intensive care and they started to tell us his vital organs were failing, as a father, I, I had to face a very strange dilemma. Do I want my son in my life, he's my everything, but suffering? Uh, or do I want my son to go? And it's a very difficult question. And I know that you, in your accident, was actually in that space where they didn't know you had a, a brain injury, a spinal injury, a, your ribs were broken, your, your shoulders and so on. I know you must have shared that story a million times, but I think it's it's important to share it with our listeners so they know how much of a hero you are. Would you mind sharing it? I'm not sure about hero, but yeah, of course, you know, I, I think it is, I see it in sort of like, I often will refer to before and after. And that day, you know, my accident, it really changed everything, you know, in many ways for the worse, but also, you know, now with hindsight, absolutely for the better. But it was definitely you know, a new, a new life. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it was the start of, start of everything really for me. So yeah, it's important, I guess. It was a simple accident, right? You fell from... Yeah. So, so I, I was 22. I was pretty young. I was kind of, I was at a party basically. I was sitting on the edge of a roof terrace outside and I don't remember any of it. The whole day is completely blanked out, which is such a blessing. I know for like, yeah, it was a traumatic experience for everyone who was there. And yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, basically, I fell quite a long way. It was like um, eight meters, something like that. Mm. Hit my head, broke my spine. And yeah, was taken to the hospital then. Um, and then I was in an induced coma for like uh, nearly six weeks. Oh, wow. So that was, you know, I was out the, the whole time. But for my family and my friends, it was just basically they were given the doctor said I had 40% chance of like being alive, you know? So yeah, that was just, I, I can't even imagine what it was like for them. You know, my parents seeing me on a ventilator and. I can, I've, I've witnessed it. Can I ask you if you were to remember your hopes and dreams and, and how you thought life would be just the day before, and then the day they told you, you can't walk anymore. So it was right at a point where my life was sort of getting started. 
sort of as a side note, I feel actually very grateful that it happened when it did, because I had been through university. I traveled, you know, I think now, like think of thinking of young people at uni and, and things like that. And they're not having any of the same sort of opportunities as my age had. You know, I would travel all my holidays and it was just like such a great kind of life, not a care in the world. But I was also quite focused on my career and looking forwards and things like that. And I was kind of just at the point of getting another job. I had just kind of finished like an internship kind of thing. And so very work focused, but also very like social life focused. You know, that was that was very important to me at that stage, going out and yeah, what was cool and stuff like that. And then one day, one event and everything changes. Mm. So, I mean, because I was in the induced coma, it wasn't as though I just woke up one day and was like, you know, someone told me I I couldn't walk. It was a gradual process of waking up, which was a a huge blessing. But I remember my mum telling me after that she had said to the staff, the doctors and things that she didn't want anyone to tell me when basically she wasn't there. And I woke up and I was conscious enough And I said, what's happened to me? You know, why can't I move my legs? And they told me, and she was devastated when she found out. But of course, because I was so drugged up from this induced coma, I didn't remember. So I just asked again the next day. So it was a kind of gradual process finding out. But the first time I remember really realizing that I was paralyzed, I remember it well. There was this person from one of the spiny units who was there and I said to him, you know, what, what's the likelihood of me walking again? Because there's different levels of injury. There's incomplete and complete. And, and he was quite upfront with me. And he said, highly unlikely, basically. And I was furious with this guy. I didn't know him, but I was, I was angry. And I, I was just thinking, that's not me. That's not my reality. Like, no way. And I remember seeing a wheelchair as well for the first time, like in hospital. And I was just like yeah, that's not right. That was early on. Can I just highlight some, I don't know if you know this about yourself, but since we started talking, you said I was so grateful that I had finished university. And then it was such a blessing that I woke up gradually. Do you even hear yourself saying those things? I mean, those situations are normally in people's minds, not associated with gratitude. Well, at the time I wasn't grateful. That wasn't in my, in my mind, but really this is the thing that has has helped me you know in my life more than anything is that ability to find things to be grateful for Mm. you know still to this day like that is the thing is there always something to be grateful for in your point of view i think that's a rhetorical question for you obviously but you think that's true for everyone definitely definitely sometimes tiny tiny things but i really really do So I spent most of February struggling with something that didn't want to announce itself as COVID. So I did five PCR tests, all of them were negative, but the doctors were saying like, this is absolutely COVID, you know, loss of taste and smell, very, very horrible cough, unable to breathe deep enough, mega, mega fever, mega headache. It was really, really, I wouldn't want to say this, but there were days where I was like, okay, this, this looks like it's it. And, and then 21, 22 days in, I woke up one day and I was actually able to get up and 
you know, even though coffee tasted like hot water, then I'm a huge coffee fan. So I said, I'll make a coffee. And I, I'll tell you, Sophie, the one thing I felt at the time was, what is this strange feeling? I don't have pain. And just I don't have pain doesn't mean like I'm able to dance or celebrate or, you know, enjoy chocolate or do anything at all. Actually, I was just barely able to get up and make a coffee. And I will tell you, I suddenly realized how much of a blessing it is just not to have pain, which is something that we do every day. You know, most days we're okay, you know, just to be able to get up and make a coffee, even if it doesn't taste like coffee, just to have that ability. And I think for many of us, of course, you must be like the Jedi master at this. But for many of us, when we look for a blessing, we find it, right? We, when we look for something good, uh, we enjoy it. It's really scary to realize that. It's something that takes practice massively. Does it? The, the way that, for me, I remember reading this book, this is kind of jumping forwards a little bit, but reading this book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. I love Mindset, yeah. Yeah, it's all about fixed and a growth mindset. And it was really, yeah. that was transformative for me. So it was that in combination with finding, finding the things in a bad situation. So with spinal cord injury, it's not just, you may be aware, but it's not just the paralysis. There's so many other things. There's neuropathic pain, there's bladder, all of that stuff, which comes with, and you know, it causes a lot of problems. And it really, it's 10 years now. And I'm able to sort of, you know, sit here with a smile on my face and say that I'm grateful for so much stuff. But, it, you know, a lot of it is totally sh Excuse my French. <laughs> <laughs> but finding things to be grateful for is a real, it takes practice. And just, it was something almost kind of subconsciously for me that I would, I just did from early on. And now some days I'll I don't know how this is going to sound to other people, but I'll be kind of going around my flat or whatever and have my cat here. And I'll just be thinking, I'm so like lucky and happy and oh my focusing God. on that stuff. That's amazing. Not all the time by any means. And it's, by the way, not all the time for anyone. So that's the interesting bit. I think what counts is the number of times we can find that feeling, not the number of times we get thinking about things that might not be right. I mean, as I always teach, unhappiness is a survival mechanism. It's something that we need to recognize what is wrong. But it's also those moments where you flex that muscle of gratitude and say, yeah, yeah, there are a few things wrong, but there are also a few things right. And I think I'd rather remember those as well, not just the wrong things. Can we jump forward? Because we're still in the, in the point of introducing you to the listeners. So tell me the story since then, because from then to becoming snowboarding um, uh, champion, skiing, yeah. And then now you're into water skiing and so many other sports. How do you go from this to that? Yeah. So I, after being kind of in intensive care, I went to Stoke Mandeville, which is um, spinal unit, the largest one in the UK. And I spent four months or so there learning how to live again, learning how to get dressed, how to transfer. It's a big part of it. Transferring onto the bed and wheelchair skills, all of that stuff. You know, it was very, very hard in the beginning. And I was really pretty low. There were definitely times when I was not wanting to continue. But it's a good environment. And I felt glad to be there because I was surrounded by other people in a similar situation. And that's a huge thing for me on my journey is just knowing other people and being able to share that experience with other people who get it. 
so yeah, while I was in the spinal unit, I came across a charity called Backup, who I now work for, incidentally. And well, probably not incidentally, actually. <laughs> and basically, they do a, a ski course. And so a year after my injury, I went out with them. It was kind of, I was pretty terrified. You're not allowed to go with anyone you know or anything like that, no friends and family. But I loved skiing before. I've always been a bit of a kind of adrenaline junkie. And I had no idea I could ski as a paraplegic, like no idea. So it was really exciting for me. So I went out with them, did like 10 days out in Colorado. And that was really helpful for me at the time. You know, it was an amazing opportunity. And kind of fast forwarding it, trying to sort of say it in a bit of a nutshell, but following on from that. We're not in a rush, by the way. Don't no. fast forward. We have all the time in the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, I don't know, doing a podcast myself, I'm sort of conscious about time. I love inspiration. Time comes later. Uh, so go on, go sure, on. <laughs> sure. So having left hospital, a little while after that, I decided, well, actually, when I was in hospital, I decided that I wanted to become a teacher, primary school teacher. You know, I've always been quite ambitious and optimistic. And so that's what I did sometime after my injury, not, not long, like a year or so. And that was definitely like a crash course in like living as a paraplegic and studying and things. And it was good in some ways for me to be, you know, busy and doing things when I was in this situation, but it was also very hard. And in my life, it was very hard as well. My dad actually passed away from cancer. Oh my God. At the same time? At the same time. Well, yeah, it was um, seven years ago now. So it was while I was doing this PGC and it was just, um, it was a lot. And the PGC, the teacher training was just so full on at that stage. You know, I'd lost a lot of confidence. I also, in my injury, I, I lost my hearing in my right ear, which is actually more of a pain than being a paraplegic, to be honest. It's, a, it's super annoying. And yeah, it was a real struggle. So after that, I... I wanted to get away. My family were amazing. You know, my mom was a great support for me. I was living at home, but I wanted to kind of spread my wings and find out really like who I was again in this new life and do it kind of alone and push my boundaries, see where my boundaries were. So after my dad passed, sometime after that, he left some money. And with that, I was able to go out to Colorado and I spent a season out there learning how to ski, like mono ski. It was like another gap year kind of thing. And it was tough. It was, I was living alone and I was having to like, you know, do all these like bath transfers, which now is fine. But at that stage it was difficult. And skiing was, it's the most liberating thing for someone who's paralyzed and, you know, use the wheelchair all the time it's you're free, you know, you're on the mountain and you can do whatever you want. You know, if you get good enough, you can do the moguls, do the jumps. Wow. Just, yeah, total freedom. It's, it's so liberating. Yeah. So I did that for a season and kind of during that time, it was a really good, good thing for me. You know, it was a lot of falling, a lot of being like uh, angry <laughs> kind of thing, whacking the snow but it was the best thing for me to kind of figure out like who I was kind of away from my past life in a way. 
and then sort of after a few months out there, I got into racing. It's often, it kind of just happens. And with hindsight, it was quite quick to go and start racing. And my level of injury, I broke my back like here. So just like on my chest. So I don't have any core at all, which is not ideal for mono skiing. Yeah, it was tough. It was very tough. But you kept doing it. Yes. So I started racing and then I got onto the British development team. So I was, I was skiing with them, going on training camps and things like that in Europe and spending most of my winter out in Colorado, which was amazing. It was, yeah. Have you been to Colorado before? I have a rule in my life, actually, that started a couple of years ago that I shall never again see snow. Yeah, I am a warm weather creature, okay? <laughs> I mean, I, I can't make that choice, but I really, really suffer. If it comes close to zero, I think it's the bald head. I'm not sure, but you know, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just really suffer in the cold. So I know I have not been to Colorado and I have to admit to you, I don't intend to. I mean, <laughs> that's not my plan at all. Once I was on a glacier, And I know now, after my daughter lived in Montreal for so long, that you have to be prepared for it. You know, I was like wearing my normal winter jacket and, you know, like normal socks and stuff. Probably that's also part of the reason. But I think I'm so traumatized that I don't want to do that ever again. So the feeling of freedom, don't you feel scared? I think skiing is scary in general. But do you feel scared that maybe if you fall in the middle of the, of the slope or something that you can't really get up and you have to wait for help and so on? Is that not part of your new superhero psyche? I tell you the time I did feel scared is when I was at the start of a race. Skiing for me was just total freedom. And, you know, you could just go wherever you wanted. And if you ever watch mono skiers, it's beautiful. It's graceful. I wasn't always that graceful, but it's incredible. But at the start of a race, you know, in the start gate, for me, it always sort of represented that freedom and that just that enjoyment and yeah, freedom basically. But in a race situation, that's where I struggled, you know, mentally, it was just, mm. Yeah, it was it was tough. You know, every time I was in that situation, in practice, I'd be fine. You know, I'd be going well. And then in a race situation, it was, yeah, that was when it was really, it was a struggle for me. Why do you think? Is it because others are watching or because you want to beat those other guys? Definitely. It's just like comparing yourself to others and, oh. you know, beating yourself up when you're not doing as well. You know, I have always been pretty hard on myself, to be honest. I'm getting better as I get older, I think, but yeah, I think comparing yourself to others, wanting to be better, being frustrated when you're not doing as well as you want to be doing. I think you're an amazing superstar. I mean, others should compare themselves to you openly. I'm saying this to everyone listening to us. I mean, look at you. Now, I, I'm going to have to, before I forget, I really have to capture a word that you said. And I know it's a tough question. So when you were training and getting the, you know, to know your bed transfers and using the wheelchair and all of that, you said there were moments when you wanted to give up. Now, I say that with a very achy heart, because I know that if you take the suicide rates around the world, the number of people that give up is at an all-time high. Would you share with us what kept you going? What makes someone decide not to give up when life is so tough? I think... I would probably say when I was in hospital, the support I had from my friends and my family was just amazing. They would come 
not a day went by when one didn't come pretty much from London or something like that to be mm. there by my side while I was going through this. That and, you know, I also, I don't think I've said this before, but when I was in, in hospital in the early days, and this probably doesn't really answer your question, but I remember having a feeling like, okay, so this has happened to me. I'm paralyzed. Like I'm going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Maybe this could be a bit of an opportunity. Maybe this can actually oh my God. set me apart in some way. Oh my God. You know, I was thinking, I think the reason I wanted to be a teacher was that I could inspire kids and like help others. Oh my God. That was in ICU that I had that thought. And I think I, I was kind of like, I think maybe being younger as well, my sort of idea about disability and also people that I'd met, those people that inspired me early on, that was huge for me. You know, I, I had the most incredible role models and knowing that life could be badass, you know? But I think I've always had it, like, mentally, I'm fairly level-headed and I haven't suffered with depression, you know, in my life in a bad way. So I think that carried me through. Well, I... I'm unable to respond to this, honestly. I really don't know what to say because this is sage level, what you just said. So the truth of life is that every challenge is an opportunity. The reason you and I are talking now and recording this incredible conversation for slow-mo is because of lockdown. If it hadn't been for lockdown, I would have never started slow-mo. And in my mind, I actually thought about it. Again, I think your examples are so much more profound, but, but the whole idea of, okay, we're going to be locked down now. This is, you know, not a choice. Do I sit with it and just blame the world and talk about the politicians or do I look for an opportunity? Is there something you can do with this? But to be able to recognize that, I will tell you openly, I think, I think that's exactly it. I mean, again, I don't share that very openly, but losing my son to me, yeah, it's the most traumatic thing that can happen to a father's heart, if you want, especially if you loved him as much as I loved Ali. But at the same time, it is what triggered me to be doing what I'm doing. And, and what I'm doing is good for the world. It's good for me. It's, it's something that I would probably say, and I know I, the, the last time I said this, I cried, so I hope I don't now. Somehow, if I look back now, I would probably not mind Ali going again. You know, if I was asked again, you have a chance to go back in time and keep Ali. Yeah, and at the same time, lose the tens of millions of people who have received Ali's message and whose lives have become better. I'd probably say Ali's good where he is. I'm going to meet him soon. And uh, that my life and his were worth living. And I think it's, it's really interesting that you position this as an inspiration to others. There is a level of selflessness in this that I think is quite uh, unique. Okay, I lost my thoughts, so you're going to have to take us somewhere from here. I'm, I'm so inspired by you. You know, a few years after I was injured, I remember someone asking me the question, if you could go back and not have the accident, would you do it? And that was literally three years after. And I said, no, I would still have it. I think it can be triggering for some people to hear that if they're going through a difficult time, you know, and my heart goes out to people who are newly injured. You know, I'm speaking to people through my work who have just come out of a spinal unit and they're not getting the support or what they need. 
But for me, it has brought me just more than I could ever, ever have got if this didn't happen to me, you know. I wouldn't change it for the world. Like, oh, my God. You know, it doesn't matter what, like, it's all about your mindset. And, you know, that's the thing. And I think it's like what you're saying as well. You know, it's what's going on in here. That's, that's everything. And when people, when people see a wheelchair and they think, oh, that's just the end of the world, I find that hard to hear because I urge people to look deeper than that and think about what's going inside, what can be learned and what can be good about the situation. Okay, so I'm going to have to push forward, Sophie, because I'm interviewing Yoda, so I'm going to have <laughs> to ask the tough questions. A big confusion for humanity is our relationship with our bodies, right? I mean, if you really, really think about it, a lot of unhappiness and, and depression is happening around, oh, I'm not the perfect shape, oh, my friends are thinner or fitter or whatever. We carry that thing with us, and, and it sometimes helps us and serves us and sometimes doesn't. And I And I think you have a very unique experience because you consciously experienced yourself, you know, as a some kind of a physical form until 22 and then a different physical form afterwards. Can you share some insights on where is that relationship? How can we establish sort of a healthy relationship with our physical forms? I would say, you know, I think for me, getting into sport kind of demonstrated to me like what I was able to do you know being in a wheelchair is really restrictive and it's so frustrating in London oh yeah I know when I was newly injured I was so scared to go out I really really everyone's staring and curbs cobbles the worst London pavements suck but access to and um I remember so well like in a few weeks after I was out my friend came to my flat and we went out to try and go to the cinema and it was a cinema that I'd been to loads of times so we got the bus there and it was terrifying and not enjoyable and got to the cinema well it was it was all right you know getting the bus and stuff you know with her but got to the cinema that I'd been to loads of times before and there was a massive step up to go to the cinema and then once you're inside the screens were up the stairs and there was no lift and no escalator or anything so we had to turn around and and come home and I think you can be together in your mind but still now to this day there are so many barriers that are put up everywhere and you are constantly reminded of what you can't do and that is really really challenging. I was so determined to still want to go out and go to parties and things like that and and I, I did but after a while it was just it kind of wore me down a bit. And I think that's why I turned to sports because it was kind of may sound ironic, but it was it allowed me to kind of use my body in the way that it could be used and use it properly and focus on what I could do, really. It's not what you don't have. It's what you have that matters, sort of. And what you have is fit for something. I always say there is there is some kind of thing you can do with that blessing. Some of us are good in math and some of us are good in music and you can't be good in both. But if you have a, the ability to do math, use your brain and your body for that and so on. It's an interesting perspective. But sports, isn't that pushing it a little? I mean, so now you, you water ski and what else do you do? So really just sort of finish off the, the story of, of skiing, because that kind of led me on to the next stage. You know, there was a point after maybe four years of, of ski racing, I had always had 
set my sights on Paralympics. You know, I knew other people who'd been to the Paralympics and I really wanted to kind of get to that level or, you know, high up in racing. And I was sort of following other people who'd done it before me. And there came to a point when I was doing a race in Colorado and I had like a breakdown. I was really struggling on that season, just mentally. And I, I was kind of due to do this race and I just lost it. I was just breakdown, kind of panic attack and just, just really broke down. And I realized at that point, you know what, Sophie, like you don't need to keep putting yourself through this. Like you don't have to follow other people's paths. You can create your own path. And I think, yeah, that sort of as cliched as it sounds about sort of carving your own destiny. That's the point when I realized you know, I wanted to create a platform. I wanted to use my voice to try and support other people with disabilities, to try and change the perception and things like that. And I thought that I had to get to this point in order to do that. Mm. And I realized I was so unhappy, despite having all these opportunities and being able to ski, I was really unhappy. And yeah, so after that, I, I finished that chapter. I moved back to London and I, I moved out from living with my mum, which was great. She's amazing, my mum. But you know, I turned 30 and it was time to to kind of get on with my life. And yeah, I started working at Backup. I work in the mentoring team there. And you said that before about being kind of selfless, but actually working there and also doing the podcast. I had a conversation with one of my guests on my podcast the other day, who's amazing, a guy called Brett Moran. And he was talking about how kind of serving others is so key. And I think you'll understand this. It really does feed you. That probably sounds super cheesy, but but there's something in that I really get so much from it. There's nothing cheesy about that at all. It's the biggest joy in life, period. This is it. I don't know if, you know, after we have artificial intelligence and discover all of the science in the world, I'm guessing we will find that there is a physics law behind this, you know, like when you make another happy or when you make another a little better off, you feel like you've conquered the world. You feel that there is nothing else worth living for. I think this is pure fact for me. Mm. It's like, you know, giving your energy to other people, you get sort of filled up. Yeah. You know, when I wrote Soul for Happy, I called it the law of conservation of love. You know, if you just like, you know, you if you put energy in the world, it doesn't go to waste. It just transforms into other forms. And, you know, there is action and reaction. I think if you put love and giving in the world, you get love and giving back. And it's absolutely true. Mm, completely, completely. So we haven't touched on the rest of sports. So you came back to London, you worked for backup, but you're still very, very active, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, you know, actually in your book, I was sort of reading about like fun and where we get our fun from. And I think sports were a bit of a replacement for me for like going out and, mm. you know, the things that I was doing before. So, yeah, it was great to fill that gap. And I water ski and wakeboard. I can't wait to get back to it. <laughs> so you're not able to do that in lockdown, are you? Mm -mm, no. Oh, that's another Layer. Well, it's a bit cold now anyway. <laughs> Good idea. You see, you yeah. always see the silver lining. It's like, yeah, it's a bit cold <laughs> now anyway. <laughs> it genuinely, yeah. genuinely is cold. Like, it's no fun if you're, because I'm like, I like taking risks and like being on a wakeboard, I'll try and do a, a trick or whatever. And falling in when it's freezing cold is no fun. <laughs> okay. I can attest to that. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> cold, no fun. What do you do at Backup now? 
Yeah. So um, I work on the mentoring team. So basically, I'm speaking to people who have been referred to us who would like to speak to a, a mentor with a spinal cord injury. And uh, right now, there's a lot of people because they're not able to access the sort of support that I got. You know, I went on a course to Colorado a year after I got injured. People right now are stuck at home. And, you know, the traditional rehab process is a lot shorter, you know, because they don't want to be kept in hospital for any length of time. So that's what I'm doing, matching up our volunteer mentors. It's kind of like a dating service without the romance. It's like, <laughs> okay, so you, I spoke to a guy yesterday who, who was really into cars and I'm going to match him up with someone who's, who's also really into cars and is a paraplegic as well. And it's amazing when it goes well, you know, when it's a good match, ah, it's a total buzz. Oh my God, that's beautiful. But it can be hard to like, you know, spinal cord injury really... For a lot of people, and I've had so many opportunities, I've been very lucky, but it really can be a huge blow for a lot of people. I think it also should be a reminder to all of those, and, and I say that with a ton of love and respect for you, but for all of those who can stand up and go somewhere, I mean, it's a reminder of how blessed your life is, even if things are tough and you're locked down or whatever. Just remember all of those who are not only surviving under such tough conditions, but also have an injury of some sort. And like Sophie, are superstars going through it, you know, finding, finding their way of uh, actually impacting their lives and others in the process. I think that's so, so, so impressive. Two things before we close. One is, let's tell everyone about your podcast. I want everyone to go and have a listen. So what is it called? It's called A Life Less Ordinary. A Life Less Ordinary. So give that a try, guys. I think you would really enjoy that. The second is, I don't know how to say this any other way, but as I said, I stalked you. So since you texted me, I was like, who's that person? And so I, you know, I looked at what you did and, you know, some of the talks that you gave and so on. And I have to say the only impression I was left with is, you know, when I was young, they teach us, they say, if you have some kind of a disability, other abilities in your body increase. So if you don't see, for example, you hear better or something like that. And I have to say the only thing that I could think about is somehow when you got your injury, I think your other abilities just went through the roof. And the two that I can't take out of my mind are determination and wisdom. And I really think that if anyone could just learn from you that life is supposed to be tough every now and then, for some of us, it's tougher. And when, it's, when you have those incredible abilities to just see the truth, see the wisdom in that, yeah, everything is just a turning point. And when your life turns right or left, you might as well keep going. You might as well, you know, make the best out of it. And I think your wisdom in realizing that at age 22, 24, I don't know exactly. I wish, 32. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 hold on, hold on. 32 now, 22 oh, when yeah, it happened. Oh sure, sure, yeah, sure, <laughs> Yeah, 32 is an amazing age, by the way. It certainly wasn't like that then. And it has taken a long time. And I think it's important to kind of impress that. It takes work. And, and I think what you're saying, you know, I truly, truly think that it is through pain that we can grow. Oh. I definitely, you know, I'm, I'm so far from wanting to be a victim and pity is the last thing that I've ever wanted in my life. But I would say I've had my fair share of 
crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think it's really that that has kind of forced me to kind of recognize this and grow from it. And I think that's what helps you grow. I mean, I've been very blessed in life in many ways, but I've had quite a significant amount of crap too. I mean, nothing as compared to your challenge, but, uh, but yeah, it was only those moments, only those moments when you really take them on that make you the superhuman that you are. I really think that you've taken it, you've turned it around, you've done an amazing job with it and you inspire so many. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you reached out. I'm so grateful to have a new friend. Can't wait to be a guest on your podcast. And I'm really grateful for what you shared today. Thank you so much. It's been amazing talking to you. I've loved this. Well, I, I can just leave you to reflect a little bit on your life after this conversation and think about what Sophie has done with the life that for most of us is a lot more challenging than the challenges that we have. I'm not going to say any more than that. I can only thank you for the opportunity that you give me to interview and make friends with so many amazing people. Please do help me spread the message of slow-mo, rate this podcast five stars if you haven't already, and please give me ideas and uh, reach out if you know a guest that you can introduce, or if you are a guest, please do recommend yourself and come tell your story to so many thousands to change their life. Share your favorite episodes on social media and, uh, Remember that uh, regardless of how busy you are, there's always a little bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I'll see you next time.